Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. We are living very special times uh, in the context of the uh, pandemic crisis, and we want to give you the best tools ever to scale up uh, and leverage the, the, the threat and convert it to, into an opportunity, or even to adjust, scale a little bit down and get stronger out of the crisis and be able to scale up again. Today, we have a very special guest to share his, his experience with us. His name is Marcel Lou, uh, the president at BASF uh, Canada. Marcel, welcome to the show. Yeah, many thanks. A pleasure to be here. Uh, it seems that from your accent, uh, we speak the same language, uh, Portuguese, uh, but you yeah. are from uh, Brazil, correct? There, That's correct, yeah. There, Born and raised until I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> There is something that I loved about your LinkedIn profile and invite um, our audience to, to go look at you also at your LinkedIn profile, which is kind of the mixture of, of cultures and what you got as a kind of an attribute or as a threat from each culture that you had the opportunity to, um, uh, to, to interact uh, with. We talk about, for instance, from Brazil, art, from Canada, where you are based in, in Toronto, uh, niceness, uh, about China persistence, U.S. drive, France culture, uh, Spain, passion, Germany, discipline, Hong Kong, food, uh, and that's it. Canada, niceness, uh, and Brazil. Are, <laughs> that's, that's an yeah. amazing way to start the, uh, the podcast. So let, let's get to know a little bit more about um, yourself and how did you went joining uh, BASF? Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm originally from Brazil. I uh, lived there until I was 12, and then the family decided to move to the U.S. Uh, so I'll, actually, most of my education is in the U.S., um, and uh, I even did university there. And during university time, I was able to go uh, to France and Spain for, for what you call in Europe Erasmus, right? Uh, and then returning uh, um, uh, to the U.S., and, and, and um, the university I actually went to is Georgetown University, which was very... Uh, close to the World Bank, and that was my actually my first job that I got was at the World Bank in, in Washington D.C., uh, which which married very nicely to my major, which was Foreign Service. So n never thought that I would uh, uh, want to be a diplomat, but during that time I, th I I thought about becoming a diplomat, and that's why I I really enjoyed uh, learning languages. And uh, the World Bank was a great experience, but after uh, a couple, almost four years at the World Bank, I decided to say, okay, uh, uh, the public sector is a little bit slow, yeah, talking to governments. I, I want to see some energy. I want to uh, experience private sector. And I applied to a couple of companies and BASF, I had done an internship when I was uh, in Spain, uh, in Barcelona with, uh, with BASF. And they, they took me and I started in Germany. So that, that's what took me to uh, BASF. Uh, in Germany, and I've been now almost, I mean, I, I'm in my 15th year with them, and uh, uh, never look back. So Germany, Hong Kong, and now Canada. Yeah, That's amazing. And I was pronouncing in the wrong way uh, the name of the brand, BASF. Uh, apologies. Uh, yeah, yeah, but actually you're correct. In, in Brazil, we call it BAS, but uh, in Canada, we say BASF. So BASF. it's a, it's a little bit where we are culturally. It's yeah? being it's being adapted to to the local uh, countries, which is a Correct. very good 
uh, think global, act uh, local, uh, local. It's already an Correct. old adage. And getting to the business and just um, a quick introduction so people understand in what stage of growth uh, BASF is. Uh, so we are talking about a company that is north of seven, uh, 78, almost 80 B US dollars in annual revenues uh, in the current uh, global Fortune 500 index position 115 and just 69 companies get to 100 B, which is the next stage for uh, BSF. It's uh, a German company, global leader in the chemical uh, industry and was born in April 6th of 1860, um, 1865. Uh, so it's been faced almost all wars and pandemics that we have been knowing and is still uh, year so that that's operational very, You're correct <laughs> that's a very good uh, guess to that's a very good example to bring you in and the show how is this possible to have such a, a long coverage would you like to give a, a little bit more of introduction about bsf for for the audience yeah uh, and depending on the age of the audience most people would know bsf as the cassette tape manufacturer right so uh, of course we don't produce those anymore but, uh, but I, I mean, BASF uh, uh, is basically a chemical manufacturer, as you mentioned, but we are, uh, because of how broad our portfolio is in chemistry, we are basically present in every single industry. So uh, uh, from the agriculture sec sector to personal care, home care, mobility, we supply a lot of uh, uh, chemistry and plastics, let's say, into car parts, into the aerospace. Uh, into the health, uh, uh, human and animal nutrition. I mean, it, 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 it is really, really broad. Uh, we supply into the energy sector. So it, it, as you mentioned, we are north of uh, 60 billion euros uh, and we have 112,000 uh, people. And here in Canada, we have, of course, uh, uh, um, uh, 1,200 colleagues and do about $2 billion uh, uh, Canadian in, in revenue. Got it. That's that's really uh, impressive. And um, so we, we discuss a lot about scaling uh, in the show, as you know, but kind of going from even 1B to 10B, it's, it's a very difficult job, not only to talk about the scale-ups that we also interview in the show on how to go from 1 million to 100 million and then go for IPO or got acquired and go for the next stage to 1B. But even getting from 1B to 10B or 10B to 20, 20 to 50 is super, super uh, complex. But uh, getting really to, 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 to the stage where you are in, how is it possible to keep growing? Uh, how, how do you keep competing with another uh, corporate giants? And uh, when you are in position 115 in, in such a, a amazing uh, rank. So what are the avenues uh, for growth and how do you keep growing the business? Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, we we are we have been in operation for 155 years, right? And there are, and there are only two ways that you can do this, in my perspective. And I think where BSF has done a great job is innovation, just being crazy about innovation and uh, approach to the customer. Yeah, we really need to know what the customer, but also understand them and understand 
things that maybe they don't even understand. But of course, a lot of the information and the intelligence comes from the customer, comes from uh, who you're selling to. So, so being able to be always uh, having your feet to the ground, uh, uh, saying, okay, I have the best product now, but I need to continue to innovate to, to stay relevant and also have at the same time simultaneously a very good year to the customer, to the audience that you want to capture. Yeah? And always think about um, uh, expanding that. So if you're also thinking, uh, always thinking about the same customer group, you're basically not innovating enough because you should always try to get as much broader, uh, let's say, adoption of your product or solutions to as many people as possible, especially if you're doing good, right? That sounds, sounds amazing. So we always discuss three critical ingredients to scale that if apply even, even better or uh, in the context of uh, wartime. Uh, those three critical ingredients are radical focus, world-class leadership, and the culture of um, execution. So starting with uh, number one, um, how do you keep people focused? How, how do you define the main priorities when uh, a context like this arises in the in the horizon, like the, this pandemic um, crisis? How do you keep everyone on the same page and focused and positive and self-centered? Yeah. I, I think when you get into situations where we are today, uh, especially with this uh, pandemic, uh, uh, you need to cut uh, the areas where it's not adding immediate value, right? I mean, when you get into an emergency, you need to really focus on that emergency. So there are a lot of nice-to-haves, and I think things that you should be doing, doing peacetime, if you will. But it doesn't apply to wartime. Wartime, you need to focus to just be able to continue to survive. Yeah? And that is very important to say, okay, I have 100 things that I'm usually doing, but now because of the current situation, I need to focus on these 20. And these 20, 20 the way I see it, it cannot be static. This is also dynamic because depending on how the situation is changing, you need need not only a radical focus, you need a radical pivoting. So you need to be able to be flexible and pivot as much as you need to, to be able to continue to get to the next stage. So this this area of focus is is very important and is one that, of course, uh, uh, um, we are applying today. So uh, we need to remain operational because we are considered essential services to the community. Our chemistry goes into essential products that are needed in the time of this crisis, but we also need to make sure that our colleagues are safe. So we need to pivot very quickly on how we are operating, how we are uh, uh, making our colleagues feel that they are safe coming to work. And also we need to adapt all to new technologies that we said, "Mm, maybe we do this a bit later, you know, this uh, use of Zoom, or use of uh, uh, different kind of <laughs> platforms to collaborate. Maybe we do this next year, but now this is not all being pushed now and say, okay, should we really be using this? How do we get more efficient in working in this kind of uh, radical focus environment and, and continue to do the radical pivoting? I love the, the, the new concept of a radical uh, pivoting. So we, we keep co-creating with our guests those three critical ingredients. Thanks for challenging us to, to kind yeah, of uh, improve and upgrade this, this critical um, ingredient. Uh, this, this is really uh, a very good um, one. So going to, 
to the next uh, ingredient, world-class uh, leadership. I, I like to say that starting up, it's all about uh, having a strong sales muscle, uh, but um, scaling up, it's, it's about the recruitment uh, muscle. And in, in terms of, of crisis, it's really having amazing leaders in the right, uh, in the right seats that allows us uh, to keep uh, leveraging the crisis to be even stronger at the end of that crisis. But uh, as we have been discussing, uh, there are peacetime and wartime executives. There are executives and leaders that thrive in peacetimes and other ones that thrive in wartimes. Very few thrive in, in both uh, contexts and the mindset needs to shift very quickly from one context um, to another. So how, how do you kind of uh, pivot your teams or how do you help yes. the ones pivot their mindset uh, to adjust to wartime? This is a great question. And uh, one that, of course, um, uh, you need to take care of bringing the right people to your team, even during peacetime. And uh, uh, one thing that is one should always keep in mind when you're doing interviews for people coming into your team is what does this person, he or she uh, do or does uh, uh, at, at a time of exception, when things are going bad and when the pressure is high, how this person is gonna be reacting? Because it's very easy to uh, uh, bring in people and, and just assume that everything is gonna be normal all the time. So what I try to do is in the interviews and when we are looking at profiles, is how is person gonna react at times of exception? And of course, wartime is time of exception, right? So that is uh, one that you should always be doing even in peacetime. But what I think is always important is for executives, I mean, very good executives in my mind and good leaders, not only executives, is those that are uh, uh, good warriors at the time of peace. So uh, you, you need to be, you need to be uh, uh, edgy, always at the time of peace. Again, going back to this innovation and being uh, active to not become, uh, uh, let's say, obsolete. You need to always be a bit edgy and al almost always in, in a little bit of a uh, uh, wartime or, or a little battle. You need to do it during, war, uh, during uh, uh, peacetime because you want to, as you mentioned, how you talked about muscle. You want to keep that muscle uh, ready because when it snaps, when something, an exception comes and when things like this happen, you want to be able to immediately migrate to that. Yeah? And of course, you will have teams that are very agile doing this and some that need to, you know, you need to actually bring them there. Uh, uh, and of course, uh, it, it is with communication yeah? and being able to communicate. Warfare nowadays has nothing to do about picking a weapon and and going to fight is how you're communicating. How do you bring the people together? How do you keep the positivity, right? So this is, uh, uh, yes, you may have very challenging messages, very negative messages that sometimes you need to give, but how do you keep it positive? How do you keep it transparent? How do you keep it genuine? I think people then follow. I love that that component of being honest, uh, clear, um, frank, and uh, also the authenticity, not being fake, which, is, which doesn't help at right. all um, to lead. 
Uh, that's an amazing uh, point. And, and by the way, in, in terms of peace times, also investing in innovation, I know that you have a program with uh, that you are starting with plug and play. Would you like to talk a little bit more about, about that as well? Yeah, uh, I mean, to your point on uh, scalability and, and supporting uh, a scale up. So uh, uh, we, of course, are a big multinational and we Part of the being uncomfortable is trying to interact with companies that are faster than us, that are more aggressive than us, that are doing these little uh, peacetime uh, warfare, right? So the, the best population to do this are the ones that are innovating so quickly that we cannot catch up. And these are the startups, you know? Uh, and, and of course, uh, uh, we've we've been trying to develop a culture in BSF where we are welcoming these kind of interactions with startups. And, and one of the, the ones that we already have a very good relationship in Silicon Valley is a company called Plug and Play. Uh, uh, they are a network or a hub of uh, thousands of startups globally. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the great services that they do is they do deal flows and also innovation days that really uh, uh, provide you know, uh, uh, basically a full day of interaction with startups on specific topics. So uh, I was introduced uh, to them by a, uh, by a colleague. I experienced an innovation day at their headquarters in, uh, in California, and I thought it was a wonderful uh, idea to not only expose us, BSF, but also our customers and partners, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I checked with Plug and Play uh, to see if they had an office already in Canada. Uh, they don't. And uh, we are in the discussion now uh, uh, to really be able to open uh, an office in our office of Plug and Play so that we can start interacting with startups. But again, not only BSF, we would also be opening that for our customers to have that kind of interaction. And that is exactly as you mentioned, right? During even the good times, we want to be challenged. We want to get receive, get a lot of input uh, from the outside so we can challenge the way we're thinking. Because sometimes... If you're only in internal meetings all the day, you only think one way, right? You need to be getting exposure from the outside. And that, that is uh, part of uh, uh, peacetime, but also wartime tactics. That's uh, an amazing one. And something really critical in, in times of war uh, and um, also of peace, but uh, especially in, in wartime, when we are kind of in survival mode, which, which can be also very dangerous uh, emotionally, uh, is to keep repeating the vision and keep seeing after yes. after the the crisis. So, and 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 that's when we see the values and the mission of the company. I know that you are converting some of your plants to to help um, combat uh, or to help fight the the coronavirus uh, threat. Can you share a little bit more about what you guys are doing to to help? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it really started in Germany, our headquarters. Uh, we have um, uh, we started the production of uh, hand sanitizer, uh, uh, let's say liquids, uh, um, uh, because we are a chemical company. We of course have experience on how to do these formulations, and of course that triggered uh, uh, inspiration or motivation throughout the globe where BSF is uh, uh, really trying to step up and support as much as possible. So we are looking to convert some of our local Canadian plants uh, uh, to produce uh, hand sanitizers. But not only that, we, of course, being an ingredient supplier, 
to so many industries that are producing, let's say, respirators, that are producing uh, ventilators, that are producing uh, masks, gowns, uh, and other uh, disinfectants, we have a view of who the potential partners are. And we are trying our best to link the government with our customers, with our partners, so that they are able to source from them as well at this time of need. So we are trying to develop even a uh, platform, a startup platform. We are from scratch, where we are going to be connecting, you know, allowing people, it's an open uh, platform where we are allowing people and companies to put in what they have available and what ingredients are missing from their part uh, so that we can try to supply. But if we can't, then it's visible for other companies to do it. So, And also, of course, the people that are interested to get that product. But not only that, even the government having access to this platform. So we're going to make it an open source and hopefully we're able to do this in the next couple weeks so that we really have a full, let's say, a mobilization of all companies that are having uh, things available to feed uh, information into this quote-unquote startup platform yeah, for, for transparency. So these are the kind of things that I think is, is amazing that we are part of you know, the chemical industry that is part of uh, so many other industries. And one big one that I almost forgot to mention here in Canada is we are a big uh, part of the agriculture uh, value chain. Mm -hmm. And of course, food security is top of mind. Uh, that is an absolute uh, business essential or, or living essential uh, industry. And we are happy to be supportive also there uh, uh, in this time of crisis. Absolutely. That's that's amazing initiatives. Congrats for that. And, and moving to the ingredient number three or the critical ingredient number three, uh, which is the culture of execution. Uh, there was circulating uh, a question on, on social media about uh, what is the main responsible for uh, moving forward with digital transformation, or I would even rephrase it. What is the most uh, effective uh, VP of, uh, of uh, digital transformation in the world? And uh, it seems that it is the COVID-19. So everyone is going remote and needing to adapt in just 24 or 48 hours, depending uh, on the region where we are in. Uh, how is being the, the, the new context working from home and how is the team adapting uh, to the new context? Yeah, uh, and I mean, this is a big one, right? Because people have their ways of working and, and uh, uh, I, I mean, we, we already have quite a bit of amount of colleagues working remotely. So for some of them, this is not new other than they are stuck at home when they are usually on the field uh, going around and talking to customers. Uh, but of course, for them is also a change because they are needing to have the interaction with customer, not face to face, but virtually as well. But to your point on changing culture, uh, I mean, sometimes you had the culture of just uh, uh, having a, a meeting or you're always used to having face to face meetings. And now because the time uh, is constrained, I mean, I, I am myself needing to adapt and not knowing how to prioritize my phone calls because the phone calls it usually takes a long, a long time and something that you could do very quickly uh, and you don't know what the background of the phone call is, you can get uh, entangled into discussions which are not priority, which are not radical focus. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. And then all of a sudden at the end of the day, you said, oh my God, I, you know, not that it wasn't important somehow, but 
this is definitely not priority. I should not be taking these kind of calls or I should be able to move this to a more automated process, uh, digitalize some of these uh, uh, things. But I think what is very important on the cultural transformation is, is inclusion. And I mentioned this on the communication and how you communicate. Yeah, we need to establish a new way of interacting. Yeah, so uh, 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 also having these bigger meetings, like 20, 10, 40 people meetings that now go all virtual. Do we really need to have 40 people there? I, I always like the uh, uh, the story on Amazon that in Amazon, I do not know if this is true or not, but there is never a meeting with more uh, with people. Uh, let's say there is never a meeting that two pizzas large pizzas cannot feed. So if you have uh, a, a meeting where you have, uh, 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 you need more than two pizzas to feed the team, then it's too big, yeah? And I think now um, fast decision-making uh, and, uh, you, you know, delegation and, and being able to empower people becomes even more important because we just don't have time to do all these kind of alignments that was uh, there in the past, yeah? When, when everybody could just go into a room and, and, you know, take time to do these kind of things. So culture needs to adapt, absolutely. The famous squads, squads or even what we call the, um, the new work structure of the present and of the future, which is team of teams. So autonomous, independent teams uh, working on their own missions that serve the mission of the, of the global uh, company, which, which, of course... Yeah, but, but you have a great... So, sorry to interrupt you, but you, you just hit something that I uh, uh, really wanted to share. It's um, a lot of people talk about diversity, and that's very important. And then when you upgrade from that is the inclusion of people. So if people feel included. But I think what you just mentioned is belonging. So once you start feeling that you belong to the team and the culture, you start be becoming teams of teams. Because I have a higher purpose that I am contributing right. to the higher cause or to the higher team, yeah? Love it. Sorry I interrupted you. No, please, it was an amazing uh, one. Thanks for doing it. And um, so some, something that uh, I got very surprised at is I tried to help some of our clients to implement DELIS, and I had a lot of resistance, always in all my career. And nowadays, everyone is doing DELIS, and you know what? They are super, super happy for doing delis. They are super, super productive. So, so, what is delis? Sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't hear you. So the the, the delis uh, is the the stand-ups in the morning where you just say what are your priorities for the day, with, and you share with all the team. You also comment any bottlenecks that you might be facing, and you are always on the same page. As the context, as you said, is always changing. Uh, now people are doing their stand-ups or their delis exactly in the beginning of the morning. So everyone in the executive team knows uh, what, what, everyone, what, what each of the members of the team is focused on achieving and they can understand if they are aligned or not aligned. So they can pivot and align very quickly and they can define exactly. priorities. So everyone has been doing, of course, the, usually the weeklies, the monthlies, the quarterlies, uh, the annual uh, rhythms, kickoffs, et cetera. Uh, the all end uh, sessions, but now everything needs to go remote as a, uh, again, and we are just ending, uh, just ended the quarter and starting this new quarter. Uh, how are you right. adapting also to to move those rhythms 
from offline to online? And is there any specific rhythm that usually helps you to have everyone on the same page? So what is the rhythm that you prefer? The weekly, the monthly, the quarterly? What is the one that works the best for you? So, so I, I think um, what you just mentioned there is very important is that, um, uh, and I also mentioned before, is you, you start creating uh, communities uh, of practice where, um, where you, let me put it this way, where you, you say, okay, for this topic, we need these colleagues, and this is how we're going to do the decision, and for these other topics and so forth, you, you start organizing these communities. And uh, depending on the topic, you, you need to say, okay, does it make sense that we meet every day? So, for example, we have a crisis management meeting that started to be every day since the crisis began. And now we are slowly, because everybody knows what they are doing, we got into a call earlier this week and people are like, okay, Marcelo, do we really need to do this every day still? And, and of course not, because people already got into the rhythm and they said, okay, I... I feel good about this. We, uh, uh, let, let us just do it twice a week. And, and, and we started changing that. Of course, you can always pivot and say, okay, we, something new happened and now we need to start doing it quicker. Uh, uh, communication. We were doing a lot of communication uh, every day, uh, a lot of communication around the crisis. What are we doing? What is available for employees? What is available for customers and everything? And now, of course, with most of these big ticket items already done, do we really need to be doing daily communications on top of the crisis management team and on top of all the business yeah. reviews? No need. So it's uh, in the beginning, there is some intensity. And I think uh, uh, like an organism, you start or organizing yourselves. And then when you click uh, is, is when you say, okay, now we need to do a check-in the way you said, said it. Does, do we, does it really make sense that we continue doing what we're doing? Maybe we can do higher frequency or lower frequency and pivot. Back to your point, always pivoting and, and having a changing focus. Yeah? Got it. That's the new concept of the show that we need to introduce. It's, it's the pivot uh, <laughs> okay. that we applied in all the critical ingredients uh, since you have introduced it. <laughs> Thanks for that. That's, that's your main contribution no to, the, to the show. And um, we got to the... One of our favorite questions and the, and the final question of the show, let's see if you are able to graduate. And <laughs> so if you have the, the opportunity to meet uh, Marcelo 15 years ago when you, have been, when you were joining uh, BASF, what advice would you offer to Marcelo at, at that time? So I will say for 90% of what I've done, uh, uh, just do it the same. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I always uh, give advice in, this, in, in a way. Um, I think in life you need to be two things. Yeah, uh, uh, especially in career. Uh, uh, one is curious. Uh, curiosity brings innovation and uh, brings creativity, brings new ideas. But the other one, which is maybe the opposite, is patience. You need to also be patient. So, uh, uh, and I think there, I could have been more patient in a couple of discussions. I could have been more patient in a couple of steps in career. Uh, 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 and, and I think what is very important is when you arrive in a position, whatever it may be, whatever level it may be, but you realize that you're learning quite a lot, that is the time for you to do a small pause and get the learning zone and get everything out of that because if you continue to be too curious and impatient, 
you will want to move and you'll lose a huge opportunity to learn something in, in that one. So in that learning zone, right? It doesn't mean that you stop. It means that you are just absorbing a lot and learning a lot. So uh, if I could tell myself uh, is, you know, uh, be a bit more, be a bit more patient and sometimes not uh, let, you know, negative news of maybe people not appreciating what you brought forth affect you so much. Cause you know, I, I, I like when people say, yeah, this is a good idea. Uh, some, most of the times I don't like at all when people say this is not a good idea, let's not do it. Right. So just be more accepting of that. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we will teach uh, a new word to our audience today. I've never done this before. So which is to say, thank you. So obrigado, or even thank you very much. Muito obrigado. Thank you very much, Marcel, for joining the show and sharing your experience with us. It was really uh, a pleasure. Yeah, no, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully uh, I gave some food for thought for the audience. Yeah. Absolutely. And to, to you, to, to our community, we keep bringing you the best of the best. So you can navigate these COVID times uh, in the best possible shape and leverage it to be even stronger uh, at the end of this period. So I, we wish you to stay healthy and to keep scaling. See you soon.